As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, I, I pray now that you would grant grace and strength to us. That we would hear this word and it would work in us. Please never let us uh, take for granted this privilege of having the word of God before us. And so I pray now that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, give light to our, our minds and work in us in such a way that we would hear and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn please to Nehemiah chapter 12. I want to read verses 27 to 43. Nehemiah chapter, chapter 12, please. And this is the word of the Lord. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites and also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of, uh, of Geba and from Azmaveth. For the sinners had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people in the gates and the wall. And I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed Two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dung Gate, and after them went Hoshahiah and half the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshalam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Zemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, uh, Melali, uh, Gilali, uh, Maai, uh, Nathanel, uh, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gates, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David, to the water gates on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and from the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and by the tire, tower of Hananel and, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I have the officials with me and the priest of Elikim, uh, Messiah, uh, Mina, Mim, uh, Makaiah, Elibani, uh, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and uh, Masaiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Yusa, uh, Johanan, uh, Mekaijah, uh, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with uh, Jerahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Um, if God will help me, what I want to do is take this verse 43, really, primarily. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced 
And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And the dedication of the walls here, and, and they're filled with joy again. And I say again because we've, we've had joyful moments uh, uh, with this people in these days. You might remember back in chapter 8, the word of God was read for half a day, and the people uh, seemed to be weeping, but the command to them was no weeping on this day, only joy, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then on the next day, as, as the leaders of Israel began to, to, to study this word that had been read, the heads of the households, they realized that there was a, a festival, a feast that they were to celebrate that month called the Feast of Booths, which was a feast really of celebration, where it would be a time of making these little tents, these little huts, booths, if you will, and to, to commemorate the time that that the Israelites were in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land, and they were to remember how God had kept them and protected them, and they were to rejoice during that time. And it was a great week of celebration. But, but this time, it's just a bit different from that, because what precipitates this rejoicing is something that had happened just then. In those times of rejoicing, they responded to the word which was right to do. They had heard the word read, and, and it caused them to realize the, the good grace of God and, and how, how, how grace they have been as his people. And so they rejoiced, and, and then they saw how God had kept them through those wilderness times, and how he had fed them and given them water, and how he had protected them and led them into this great land of promise, and all of that. But, but there were times, really, where they were commanded to rejoice. Now, this is a time set aside where you must rejoice as the, as, the people of, as the people of God. We understand that. We understand that there are times of rejoicing and times of joy wherein we respond to the command of God to rejoice. It's, it's a rather rejoicing by faith. It's a rejoicing realizing the goodness of the Lord, even if the moment in which we're living and perhaps even the foreseeable moments in which we're living seem not to inspire joy and rejoicing. And we know that joy, the biblical joy, isn't a, a sort of a giddiness or a general cheerfulness or just a sort of happiness, if you will, because this joy is to be present even in the midst of suffering. You remember what Jesus said, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're to rejoice and be glad in the midst of in the midst of that. And when we read in the scripture that there's to be joy even in suffering. And so we recognize that that, that biblical joy, that joy that we experience um, and should know all the while is a joy, as Paul puts it, in the Lord. It's a joy, a rejoicing uh, that has its source in the Lord. He gives it. And it's because of him, because of who he is and what he's done for us. And that we live in the assurance of knowing that we belong to God. And knowing that we live in the assurance that we belong to God gives us this sense, if you will, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this deep and abiding sense of well-being. And so whatever that feels like, when you know that, is this this joy, sometimes it, it feels like deep contentedness. 
or this sense that good will come, a, a hopefulness. Thus, it's a joy that comes by faith, not on the basis of what's around me, but on the basis of faith being the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things not yet seen. But trusting in the promises of God and trusting that I belong to him and trusting that good will come inspires within me, brings within me what this biblical sense of, of, real, of, real, of real joy. But this time it seems to be different. There's no command. It's sort of like the walls have been rebuilt. And what's amazing there is that in that moment, something great has indeed happened in, in, in their lives. I mean, it, it's amazing that, that they're there in that place. You remember, of course, that they had been these same people of Judah and Benjamin. They had been exiled and exiled because of their sin. They deserved to be exiled. God did what was righteous and right when he took them out of the land and destroyed the land just like he had said and brought them under that curse and and exiled them. And and for a whole generation, for more than a generation, for 70 years, they they were exiled. And, And what that meant was that they were completely cut off from their awareness of the presence of God because there was no temple There was no place. There were no priests. There were no sacrifices. And here they were in a a far and distant land. And they would even say, how can we sing the songs of Jerusalem in this place? But God was faithful to them. He had promised that after that time they would come back. They came back. I put it in, in, in the hearts of, of some to come back. They returned. There they were. And, and they could see over these decades how, how God was at work in, in their place. First, they, they rebuilt the temple. And then a, a long period of time seemed to lapse. And then Nehemiah came back. And you can only imagine the joy that they would feel when this man, Nehemiah, comes back and says, God has called me. We're going to rebuild these walls, make the city secure so we can once again be this worshiping community of God and know God amongst our midst. And so 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 he comes back and and the walls are miraculously rebuilt in much opposition, both inside the camp and outside. And and, and the walls are rebuilt and, 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 and the city is being now repopulated, as we noticed last Sunday. And now here they are. They're going to they're going to dedicate these these walls. What about that? Wouldn't simply make you joyful. Look, who would have ever thought that we would be in this place at this point in time? But here they are. So what I want to do is, is take a look at this joy that that. That was there in the moment. It wasn't needed to be commanded any more than, 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 than you could need to command a little boy who was expecting uh, fruit for dessert and his mom gave him ice cream. I mean, you would think, wow. I mean, this kid's just going to be happy in the moment. Joy at that point in time. What could be wrong with this? And so here they, here they were, of course. So, so what was this like? Well, they, they, they organized so that they could have a corporate expression of their joy. And by that I mean that 
that it was going to take some organization in order to to gather all these tens of thousands, perhaps, of people in order to celebrate this this time. So you can see uh, the first thing, verse 27, that at the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem, they they sought the Levites. The Levites had a, a number of different responsibilities. One was for the singers. And so they sought the Levites in all their places. Remember, the city was still being repopulated. Only a tenth of the population would live in the city anyway. And so all of the others lived in surrounding um, areas. And so the Levites were no different. So they had to gather them in order to celebrate this dedication with gladness, thanksgiving, uh, with singing and cymbals and harps and, and lyres. And so they, they gathered all the singers. And, and the first thing they did, verse 30, was, and the priests... And the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the walls. Now, we don't know exactly what they did to purify themselves. It doesn't say a number of different things, rituals they could have done from their uh, the instructions of God throughout their history of perhaps sacrifices, most likely washings in order to purify the gates and the wall. I suppose it would be a, some kind of a washing or a sprinkling or throwing of water against the walls to, to purify them in that sense themselves, probably bathing, probably clean clothes. Um, and again, perhaps um, who knows what else they would abstain from in order to, to purify themselves. But they knew something. They knew that there could be no real rejoicing in life. No real joy without being purified. Because you see, there can be no real joy unless one has a deep assurance of acceptance by God. You know, the only way joy happens, this joy in the Lord, is, is to know that, that we belong to him and, and to know that to be assured of that his promises apply to us, to be, to be assured that, that he's ruling and reigning on our behalf, that he's ruling and reigning in such a way that the, the difficulties of the present day aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed, whether he's working all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, to know that you really belong to him, to know that this God who is wise, who is good, who is almighty, Loves you. That, that he's wise and he knows the very best for you and his people. That he's good and his wisdom is always good. The ends and the means too are always good. Are always right. And he's powerful so that nothing can thwart him in bringing about that which is good. But the question, will he? And yes, if you know that you're loved by him, that's your assurance to know that you're loved by him. And then, yes, of course, you'll bring that about. That gives a sense of joy, a sense of, of well-being in the, in the midst of, of all of this. But, but in order to really know we're accepted by him, received by him, there needs to be this purification. And of course, the Israelites of old would know all about this because there were ritual, there was ritual after ritual after ritual of, of, of cleansing. But we know it in Jesus. 
we know we're purified, cleansed, because of his death. That when he died, our sins were dealt with once for all, uh, purified in his presence. Thus, the author, when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he can say, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's chosen us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And so that's this sense. And so you really can't know that all is well unless you know God, and you can't really know God unless there's this cleansing, this purifying. And so if they're coming into the presence of God, and if they're really going to express their joy over the fact that here they are, and God has brought them to this place, they still need to be pure. There's no joy. There's no joy. Ultimately, in living according to one's own way. They bring happiness for the moment, but there's no joy for eternity in that. And even in the moment, after a time, uh, God, if, especially if we belong to him and we're walking contrary to his ways, there could be no real joy uh, in his presence without repentance and confession and faith in Jesus. There's no joy in selfishness. There's no joy in bitterness. There's no joy in slander. There's no joy in anger. There's no joy of holding on to animosity and being unforgiven. Over the course of time, you'll find your joy is lost. Because this sense of, of, of really knowing God and being in his presence will be shaken. And so we come back to that by way of confession and repentance. Again, if I might give a plug, that's why we worship in one of the ways, one of the reasons we worship the way that we do, that we take a moment each Sunday and make sure that, that, that we, we cover that, not just out of ritual, but so that something really, really real happens in our lives. And not only that, so that it's in our minds that we get how it is that we come into the presence of God, His holiness, our sin, the work of Christ, uh, our forgiveness. And that gives us this sense then that we belong to him. And they knew that. So they, they, had to, they couldn't just still even rush in. They, they had to purify themselves. In verse 31, notice this. Then I, and that's Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs uh, that gave thanks. Uh, just think about this for a minute. Try to picture this. I don't know how many singers and people playing instruments there were uh, at that time. But they went up onto the wall. So that was a huge wall to think that people could walk on. And you might remember, just parenthetically, that, that the, uh, one of the, the taunts against them was that even if a fox walked on this wall, it would fall over. And there was a great sense in which they were defying all of that and saying, no, 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 we, we can walk on this wall. And, uh, and there they were. And so there were, there were two choirs, really. One that was led by Ezra, ultimately, in terms of, of the procession, and another by Nehemiah. And one went to the south, and one went to the north along the wall. And so you can just picture in your mind the temple in the middle of the city, the walls around and, and you can just picture 
all of these people, singers and, and people playing instruments, and they're, they're going around this wall, and, and, and they're, they're, they're so thankful. They're so thankful at that point in time. Because everything now has changed for them. They were in exile. And even though they're still an occupied people, even though they're still governed by somebody else in terms of the political realm, here they are back in Jerusalem with their city safe and secure because of these great walls. But more so as they reflect upon it, not just the walls, but because of the faithfulness of God. He really is with them. That's what they find themselves here. And so thankful they, they give thanks, they sing and, and, and rejoice going around this, this great wall. I wonder, as they're going around, as they're walking on top of this wall singing and others are down under and all of that rejoicing. I wonder if they begin to, 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 to think about, whoa, I worked on this part. And to begin to remember what that was like to participate in that and to realize that not with pride, but with a sense that surely God was with us when we did this. And now we we see it. Or or Nehemiah, even as he's walking around, uh, I wonder, you you remember when he first got back to the city uh, for a, a few days, he kind of was incognito. And what he would do at night is he would go out and he would survey the walls and he would see the ruins. And now for him to realize these walls are now here, they're built. Look at what God has done. And there would be for them great rejoicing. And they would sing. And you wonder, what did they sing? Well, they had Lots available to them. But we read for our call to worship. I don't even need to look it up. We read for our call to worship this morning. Uh, one that's quite, uh, quite likely from Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion uh, in the far north, the city of the great king, Jerusalem. And as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, and the city of our God, which God will establish forever. So you get this sense that this thing is even bigger than the moment. I mean, this is, this is not only just right then and the great joy of here we are safe and secure in the Lord. But this city will be established forever. You get a sense that they were in the moment, but beyond even the moment. And, and we have thought of your stead, on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. You can imagine perhaps them singing this. Walk around Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever He'll guide us forever. You get a sense then that, that even the older ones going around and looking at the younger ones are going, pay attention here. Pay attention here. Don't ever forget this moment. This is God. Look at what he's done. Don't forget this. Live from this moment. And, and of course, even, even in, in, in looking forward, they were also looking backward because they couldn't help but think of David because they were singing his songs. They were playing, playing the instruments that he had, he had said, play, when these kinds of things happen. And, and here's the city, the city of the great king, the city of David, the city that would be, the, the king that would be ultimately anointed to rule forever and ever from the throne of David, if you will. And, and they couldn't help but going back in the past. And 
all of this running, all the way perhaps even from Abraham, all the way through the moment, all the way through eternity. And there they were, caught up in that moment. Nobody needed to say, hey, uh, rejoice, would you? Uh, no, 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 no. Just in the midst of that, they couldn't help themselves from rejoicing. They enter the temple. Here they are now in the very presence of God, assured that from that place, the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, from that place God would rule and reign and dwell. And, and here they were again. And so we see, first of all, that their, their joy was certainly God-centered. Notice how it's put in verse 43, that God had made them rejoice. In other words, he was the source of their joy. That is to say, when he brings us to himself and, and we trust him and we know that we belong to him, then he gives us joy. We can expect that in the midst of all of this, that he'll comfort our hearts, that he'll, he'll give us strength for the day, that he'll enable us to, to see past even the moment and say, well, trust me, trust me, good will come. Trust me, the, the present difficulties aren't worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. Trust me, a day will come when. Live in this time. It was a God-centered joy. Uh, they would remember his promises. It would be based on all that he had promised. And of course, it would be a joy, in a sense, unspeakable. And that's a metaphor because they were obviously speaking. But it was a joy that was almost too deep even for their words. you've been tracking with me this morning, you'll realize that I can't help see that and not see what the apostles saw. When he was in the spirit on that Lord's Day and he was shown this new heavens and this new earth, Revelation 21. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. That is chaos and the chaotic world and the fears of the world, and the insecurities of the world and the dangers of the world and the evil of the world. That's what the sea stood for. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they with his people and, and God himself will be with them and be with them as as their God. And so, so could it be that this was simply a precursor of what was really to come? Here they were, they saw the holy city. They saw the old Jerusalem, but it was becoming new, populated with the people of God. Here's the presence of God among his people. It was in shadow form. It wasn't all that clear. It wasn't all that intimate. Not as intimate it would become. But what we realize is there is this holy city, this new Jerusalem, uh, the people of God dwelling together in glory. And, and a day will come when all that will be revealed and manifested on the earth itself, the new heavens and the new earth. This city, this bride. And you say, well, is it the new heavens and the new earth? Is it a new city, this new Jerusalem? Is it the bride of Christ? And the answer, of course, is yes. It's, it's all of that. It's the earth and the heavens renewed and coming together where God dwells among his people. In this community of the people of God with each other and with him. And also in great intimacy, this 
marriage, this union of Jesus and those he's redeemed, bringing us union with each other and union with God. And there's that picture. And then, and then later, what, what he sees in this new Jerusalem, John does, he, he, sees, he sees walls around it. And, and it's huge. Um, in uh, Revelation 21, verse 16, it says, The city lies four square its length, as the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, 12,000 stadia. Uh, it's like fourteen or 1,500 miles. It's, it's that big, right? Its length and width and height are equal. And, and so it's a cube. Length and width and height, it's a cube. There was a cube in the old city of Jerusalem, in the temple. It was the Holy of Holies. Its length and its width and its height were all the same. Way smaller, because all it needed to fit was the Ark of, the go- uh, Ark of, Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and, and one guy once a year. So it like, didn't have to be huge. That's, that's all that would fit there. But now in this cube, everybody who belongs to the Lord fits. It's huge. And there was a wall, and, and the foundations of the wall... The, the gates were the 12 tribes and the foundations were the 12 apostles. Uh, I know that's symbolism, but it's not hard. Uh, all the people of God, Old Testament, New Testament, those for whom the 12 tribes would stand and those for whom who would come to faith through these 12 apostles. And, and so, so all the people of God in this most holy place right there. No need for a temple because the Lord was there. No need for sun and moon because he would brighten everything, he and the Lamb. And the nations would bring their glory into it, whatever glory they would have, would be just consumed with the glory of God. Nothing unclean would ever be there, but only those whose names were written in in the Lamb's book of life. And out of this temple would flow this great river. And so what we see here is what was in the beginning with the Garden of Eden is now being shown to come to fruition here. Because the river that went through Eden was a river of life and there was the tree of life that would give life and healing to all the nations. uh, Eternal healing to all the nations. And there it is. uh, And they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever with him. So there you have it. This glorious picture. And you see, that's to come. And while this event in their lives that was to, this sprung joy at the moment was to be lived from, this picture that we have in the end is to be lived from us, for us and from as well. That as we think about that which is to come. And we see that. And that itself should spur within us joy, a great sense of well-being. A day will come when there'll be no tears and no grieving and no poverty and no injustice, no hatred, no wars, no spats among each other. All will be well there. That really is to come. 
and, and like them, when they, when they gathered around, what, it, what really fueled ultimately their joy was this deep sense of thanksgiving. They gave thanks. In fact, these two choirs in, in the Hebrew, it really means that one thanksgiving went to the north and one thanksgiving went to the south. It's as if the choirs were personified as thanksgiving. That's what they, thanksgiving was personified in these choirs. It was thanksgiving that was happening. They were grateful, so grateful that they couldn't help but being filled with joy. And as we've said so many times, the real gratefulness comes not by comparing what we have with what we need. As Americans, it doesn't really come by comparing what we have with what we want. It comes by comparing what we have to what we deserve to have. And what we have is grace given that brings us heaven, not hell. That brings us adoption in God's family rather than estrangement from him. It brings us assurance rather than fear. And we don't deserve any of that. And that's to bring to us thankfulness. And that results in joy. shouldn't surprise us that in some traditions, the Lord's Supper communion is simply known as the Eucharist. You can hear in that word, charis. You can hear in that word, grace. And it's a moment of being thankful. It's a moment of remembering the Lord and all that he's done and being filled with gratefulness because of his grace and leaving with Joy. Again, in the days in which we live, this isn't a giddiness. This isn't a, oh, I have to go dancing after communion or any of that. Because there's real suffering in our lives. There's real difficulty in our lives. There's real pain in our lives. We know that. But there is this sense of seeing all that is and is to come. And we see all that is and is to come in the Lord. Then you see, we can have joy. And it isn't that when we come to the table, we, we leave everything behind so we can come to the table. That isn't it at all. We bring everything to the table. And it isn't that we just leave it here because we don't. Let's face it. It goes with us too, but differently. Our sorrows come to the table. And we leave perhaps with sorrows, but a sense that God really is at work in them and that he really will bring joy. And then maybe we, we bring fear to this table and, and we bring it here. And, but when we take it back, it's different now. When, when it comes, we, we know, yes, God is really with me. He really loves me. Good will come. A day will come when I can see it. So we come to this table of thanksgiving, of gratefulness, of grace. We're to live with joy.
Do you remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after great thanks. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, our dear friend Jerry Bridges often reminded us to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And, and that wasn't just a, a little quip that he had. He was very honest to say he had stolen it from someone else. But it was profound to say, we can't get away from the fact that God is holy and we're not. And that in Jesus, he saved us. And we don't deserve that. That's his grace. Always remember that. Always remember that. Because it's that grace which will spur thanksgiving, which will spur joy. Because you know you belong to him. Remember him. Give thanks. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. She would enable us as we come to this table, as we bring everything here, that we would remember all that Christ has done, the grace that is ours, and to know that he is present here among us, all the elements are the same. They don't change. But we know that spiritually he is really here among us to bless us, to help us, to reassure us, to give grace to us. By enabling us to know that when he died, we died. When he rose, he rose. For we are united to him. To enable us to know that he has sent his spirit to live within us. To cause us to walk in his ways. That he knows and thus communicates to us. That we belong to him, that he's at work interceding for us even ruling over all things for the sake of his people and the glory of his Father. So I pray that you would allow all of that to come to bear in our lives and that we would know this great grace and that we may walk in joy. Take this bread, please, this juice, set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the very presence of this one who has loved us and given himself for us. And this I pray <clears throat> in Jesus' name. Amen. Remind you, this table isn't the table of grace, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it all those who understand themselves to be sinners in his sight without hope except in his sovereign mercy. And all those who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the Savior of sinners. And all those desire then 
to follow him. That's true for you. I invite you to come. These two sections come down the aisle to my left. These down the aisle to my right. As you do, take a piece of bread, uh, dip it in the cup. And be thankful.